should you have a relentless focus on results when you're coaching your clients? Well, if you pay attention to most of the people who teach you about how to market yourself out there, you would think that absolutely there should be a relentless focus on getting that client a result so that at the end of the relationship or at the end of the engagement, they're going to want to hire you back. However, my guest today would disagree with you on that. So to introduce you to the guest today, it's Dr. Gina Cox. She's an organizational psychologist, an executive coach, and author of the book, Leading Inclusion. And she brings a very human-centered approach to helping executives develop and build their leadership qualities so that their team members feel even that much more seen and heard, which will drive the performance of the organization. I'm excited to bring Gina on today, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the UpCoach Podcast for modern coaches and creators with your host, Todd Herman. In 20 minutes or less, our goal is to share one big idea that will transform your coaching and your business. So let's get into today's episode. Gina Cox, welcome to the show. It's really a delight to be here with you today. Thank you. Well, in going through your entire background, you know, and to the listener, it's not like Gina and I have been uh, friends for many, many years. Like I've had other guests that have been on that I know them really, really well. We've literally just connected. But in the research in Gina's work, I'm excited because this is what I think probably you're in a world that is fairly new in the kind of corporate world, which is the inclusion space and diversity, even though those topics have been talked about for a very long time. So I'm excited to kind of bring you in and hear about your journey into this world of coaching and, you know, leading other leaders. Oh, yeah. Actually, you know, I'm an organizational psychologist, which I like to say basically means that I spend a disproportionate amount of time thinking about the human experience at work. You know, all those dynamics that come into play that cause people to do the things that they do or to not do the things that they should do. So that's really what I focus on. And there's another layer that I would add to that, which is that I spent many years measuring employee opinions in large corporations. And so when I approach any kind of coaching, I'm always thinking of it from the lens of how can a leader be more effective, more sort of influential and impactful in whatever their particular environment is. And I work primarily with executive leaders. And in fact, you know, earlier in my career where many of those clients were wanting to understand more about sort of the traditional aspects of leadership, what I have observed over the last couple of decades is that leaders ask me a lot more about influence and impact because they're thinking more broadly about what a leader is. In my coaching work, you mentioned the inclusion piece. I think of inclusion as a subset of leadership. It's really not a separate thing. I was going to bring that up too, even though that's not going to be the the main focus of, I know your one thing you're going to talk about. But when I was really looking into your work, that was one thing that really stood out was the framing of how you look at inclusion. And I'm really happy with how you shape that, because I agree with you 100%. It's not something that's separate. It's more of an and and inclusive inside of that term. Yeah, that is how I think about it. I've always thought about it that way, because here's how I put it. You can't consider yourself to be an effective leader if you only understand the needs and expectations of a fraction of your workforce. And so to be an inclusive leader is one who understands 100% of that workforce and is then able to make decisions that support 100% of that workforce. And so it's a leadership thing for sure. Yeah. 
Do you see there any correlation between being a great leader and someone who's well-traveled? Oh, absolutely. I don't have the data on that in the, in the formal sense. But what I would say about that is an observation that I actually began to make when I was a child. I was born in England, but I grew up in a Caribbean island called Barbados. And a, a large part of our economy was funded, is funded still by tourism. And one of the things that I realized on the island is that you were interacting with people from all over the world, just sort of because those people were on your island and you sort of look outward. And then as I got older and as I traveled and I started to notice that people who traveled were apparently just more curious, more sort of flexible in their approach to a variety of things. And so I guess we could say that if that is true, that observation, it probably also is true with regard to leadership, because the leaders that I think are the most effective, especially on this inclusion slice of leadership, are the ones that are able to realize that they have a perspective, that everybody's perspective is sort of defined by their own experiences. And to be effective as a leader, you've got to understand a wide range of perspectives and then get comfortable with them. Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, I think it's one of the qualities that I find in people who are very well-traveled is they have a, now it's very natural for them, but it's this very natural curiosity that they have. Like we're not so quick to jump to a conclusion about you know, the classic phrase, well, we don't do this from wherever I'm from. Yeah, That's how I can tell that someone is very brand new to travel because A, you know not to say that when you're traveling, but you're like very curious about, oh, I wonder where that comes from or why they do it that way. And exactly, you know, how do you see it? Like, how do you see it in this perspective? Like in Italy, we just came back from a trip from there. You know, you don't order lattes or cappuccinos after I think it's noon or 11 a.m. or something like that. So yeah, it's kind of like I tell my daughter all the time, when we travel to a foreign country, no, you can't have McDonald's. I used to say that to her when she was a child because she just wanted to bring the familiar with her. And, she, you know, children want to do that. But what I want her to do is to explore and, and try something new and learn about the reasons why they have this particular thing and so on. And so that's the essence, I think, of being a good traveler as a human. And it's also the essence, I think, of effective leadership is don't just assume that everybody wants a McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be a line somewhere. I'm always listening for when great thought leaders bust out a good line and your line of don't bring the familiar with you. That's a really good hook on that. So great leaders don't bring the familiar with them, which is typically their own perspectives yes. on maybe how to go about doing something or you know whatever the objective of the meeting is. So that's great. I know I could talk to you for a very long time, Gina, but <laughs> this is supposed to be a shorter podcast for people. I'd love to dive in then from your very broad and very thorough experience in executive leadership and building the business that you've built as well. And of course, writing your book, Leading Inclusion. What's that one thing that's made an outsized impact on your ability to help your clients? I'm going to call it just-in-time results-focused coaching. And the reason I labeled it that way just for this conversation, because I never have labeled it that way before, is because I figured the possibility that there might be people listening to this conversation who have heard this idea about results-focused coaching, meaning you go into coaching with the perspective that you want to make sure that your clients are able to accomplish whatever it is that they desire. That's why they're doing coaching. It has to be worthwhile and useful. Well, that's great. But what you really have to add to that and what I've learned to add to that over the years is that I really focus and spend more of my time than ever these days thinking about 
what is going on with my clients? What is it that they need in the moment? And so while it's fine to talk about results, results and, and to have a big idea or a big goal that you're working towards, it's really important for me, I find, to think very clearly about the industry that my client is in to stay up to date with what's happening in news with regard that might influence or impact the things, the decisions that they have to make. Because when a client is with me, I want to sort of have a sense of what's going on with them right now. That's the true value of coaching. And the funny thing about that with regard to executives, you know, early when you're early in your coaching career, what you're thinking is that executives are looking for you to just solve their problems through coaching. But what I've discovered is that what they're really looking for are ways for them to think about things through coaching. Yes. And so the more that I have, that I take the time to understand their context, more likely it is that as we have a conversation, I can follow them through all the bends in that conversation. And at the end of it, they can feel like they've truly gotten something useful. It's just in time. It's important to sort of be in the moment with that person, because if you're not in the moment with them, what you have is these conversations that feel sort of stilted and unnatural. And at the end of it, they're sort of frustrating or could be, and you never want that. Do you think some of this is because, like we're talking about coaching that term specifically, and from my vantage point of coaching, coaching is the act of eliciting information and content from the other person and sort of bringing it up. And then we can both objectively look at that information that that person has unpacked and maybe find, like you said, other ways of looking at it, some different perspectives, helping them to think through the thing. And so when we become over-indexing on here's our process, here's our way that we're going to about hitting this result, that kind of gets into the level of mentoring or training. And so this world that we're in sometimes creates a bit of a schizophrenic approach to not honoring what the person is actually going through and making even deeper impacts than just the result. Because at the end of the day, yes, even the person that came to that relationship with you, they were like, if I come to work with you, Gina, I'm at a certain level of perspective and awareness in my own life. And then through that, I'm going to be probably reinvented through this process, which means that my perspective and my vision of what I want, what I see from myself can change. And if we're not constantly checking in with our clients, we might be taking them to an old result built for an old identity or person that isn't even alive anymore. That's right. That's absolutely true. I think one of the distinguishing characteristics of working with executives is that first of all, things are moving really fast. And so you, while you might go into a session, having that context that I talked about, you know, where you've studied and you're up to date with what's going on, you also have to be ready to be in the moment and go with the flow because the thing that they might want to talk about today might be the thing that was furthest from your mind. So there's just that part of it that you've got to be extremely flexible and nimble and able to sort of go with that. The other thing, though, I think about working, you know, specifically with, with an executive audience as a coach, a uh, partner as a coach, is that you sort of get to the point in the relationship where you know that they're finally able to tell you what's really on their mind. It's a process in that sense. There's no shorthand that you can take to that. So while you can start out saying, well, these are my goals and it's these three things I'm focusing on, what I've figured out is that as we go through that process, through that dance, by the time we think we come on the other side, as you say, often what we're really focused on are completely different things. Sometimes that's because this person has had these epiphanies, these moments of self-awareness that they hadn't had before. 
The world around them is changing very quickly as well. They're adapting and doing the best that they can at the same time that they're aiming towards some particular goal that's sort of a little further away, right? And so a coach has to be able to do that dance. It's one of the challenges that I had when I would work with large companies that would want to say what their coaching process was sometimes. They would say, this is our process. This is how we want to do things, right? And that does not really work with regard to the kind of coaching that we're talking about. And that's, I think, a big distinguisher between typical leadership coaching and executive coaching. You've got to have all that space for the client to be able to sort of flex and move and change. And then one of the things you can do is kind of help them stay on the right map, stay on the path that they said they want to be on, but also make it possible and easy for them to deviate from that whenever they need to do it. So you just made a distinction there between leadership and executive coaching there, that distinction. And it's because the corporation says, well, this is how we coach. I'd love to know, like, from your experience, what is that distinction between those two that you found? Well, this is a distinction that I started to observe that had a lot to do with, well, who am I being asked to coach? So earlier in your career, you hardly ever get to, you know, coach an executive. And so you only know what you know. When I coached middle managers, there was a lot of emphasis on that process. And a part of that emphasis on the process from the company's perspective is that, you know, they were paying for this thing for a predetermined length of time. And they had a very sort of linear idea about how behavior change happens. But that was sort of maybe okay, because there it's more doing this on scale. We've got a lot more people. We've got to get this done. And that's sort of the mindset. Yeah. The distinction, I think, is that executives... First of all, no executive is ever going to agree to that sort of a situation with regard to coaching. I mean, they obviously are going to be guardrails and and timelines, but that's more from a pragmatic, that's actually, if there is a timeline, it's more from the perspective of that executive checking you out to make sure, am I really going to get some value out of this? So they want to set up some guardrails at the beginning. But the reality of it, as it ebbs and flows, is that what they're really looking for is the opposite of that process. They're looking for someone who can sort of flex with them and and jog to the left when they need to jog to the left and jog to the right. Because the essence, I think, of executive coaching is that the client can be vulnerable, really say what's in their heart. That is a fear. That is a concern. That is a thing that they worry about. And there's no other person typically with whom they would confide those you know, important ideas than their coach. If you get to that point in a coaching relationship, you sense it, you know that this thing has evolved. And that's sort of the, the essence. That's one of the distinguishing characteristics. The way that I was sort of filtering that when you were making that distinction between like when you started out kind of working with middle managers is we're really focused on more skill building. Like these are the leadership skills that you need to develop. And some of that is behavioral. But then once you get to the executive coach, they have more embodied leadership already because in order for them to get to the position, they have some level of leadership or it's at least perceived leadership. Yes. And so really what you need to do in that relationship is be highly adaptive because they're in such a combustible like environment, like just their work alone. There's big decisions that are getting made. It's very dynamic as well. And then especially on the lens that you have, or one of the slices of the leadership pie that you sort of handle with regards to inclusion, it's no wonder that you're paying so much attention to what's going on culturally or socially, because sometimes that cultural and social demand gets placed onto the executive and they're coming to you saying, hey, Gina, (laughs) can you coach me through this? So now all of it very much makes sense as to why you specifically would also have to be even more 
nimble and dynamic with your approach. But I think every coach should do it. I think a coach should be aware of what's going on so that, frankly, you know, another thing is what's the difference between a coach, a mentor, you know, a consultant and a therapist, like that whole idea. Well, one of the other characteristics I think of working with executives is that they want all of it because there are times when a client absolutely wants to know what do you think in the moment? Well, do you not give them that opinion because that's not considered coaching? Of course you can. That's what they want because they're not going to have access to other people that will do that for them sometimes. An executive will often want you to tell them, tell me sort of like the, you know, the absolute awful truth. I need to hear it because where else am I going to hear it? That kind of thing. And so there's a lot of that that happens where there are all of these different roles blend together and you've got to be astute enough to understand what would be the most useful in that moment as you're working with a client? Well, and that ties right back into the very start of the conversation when you were talking about just in time in the way that you approach. And so does that then mean for you that you basically have kind of compiled this very thorough library of approaches or steps or ways to help someone get shepherded through some sort of obstacle in the road? Is that kind of the frame then? Yeah, in the sense that I'll say that this is where a lot of the combination of training and intuition kind of go together. Oh, expand on that, like what you mean by training and intuition. Well, you know, you have the training that tells you, here are some things you could do. Here are some tactics you can try. You definitely have to have options, you know, that you will know what to do. So there's that. However, it is sort of more your intuition or your experience that tells you which one of those arrows to pull out of the quiver and when to pull it out and how to deploy it with this particular client. So it's a combination of those things that requires you to be fully in the moment, fully engaged, because you're sort of listening to the words, you're listening for the meaning, and you're listening for the feelings. You're listening at all these levels at the same time if you're doing a good job. And Sometimes in working with a client, I take some notes and then I know that there's this idea that we talked about, but we didn't really get to flesh it out either because they got more involved in another idea during the time we were together or what have you. And I know, for example, I might need to bring that back up at another point. And clients are sometimes surprised. Oh, yes. I, you know, but that's another kind of a role that I think a coach plays in helping the client to sort of stay on, on the path towards that conclusion or that goal that they stated the desire, but at the same time, giving them the freedom to go off on various little unpaved paths as they need to. Yeah. And you do, you've got to be so cautious with that because the challenge that ends up happening if they start straying off path is they might start to get entangled with an idea that is not even a problem for them right now. And they can start inventing problems for themselves. And then you've got to disentangle and bring them back onto track. And knowing that balance is, well, that's just, you learn that through reps. Yes, you absolutely learn that through experience. I don't know that there's a shortcut for that. But again, even with any one client, there's a learning curve that you go through to try to figure that out. Because of course, every client comes with their unique personalities and some people are forgetful and some people have too many things to do and some people are unfocused and some people are high energy and some people are low energy and all of the possibilities. A coach has to be able to deal with all of those variations and still help that client get to something at the end of it. I love this conversation. Like I said, I could go, <laughs> we could go on for a very long time diving into this. And 
the one thing that I heard you talk about and to bring some of these ideas back together again as well, you know, at the beginning you were talking about some people think that the mistake we can make is thinking that change or the result is a very linear path towards it. And we all know that, you know, in that practical application of the experience, it's just not that way. And then secondly, you had brought up the fact that you really pay attention to the words that people are saying. And then you didn't specifically say like the tonality, but you had said like the feeling and the emotion. And that's kind of one of the things that I try to get across to other coaches is that it's not linear. Think of it that change is happening on multiple planes at one time. And so someone would be getting growth in one area, let's say the mental, they might be actually asking you better questions, but maybe they aren't feeling it right now, but you can still identify that, Hey, there's a transformation that's happening within you. And and maybe you're not seeing it in your results, which is the physical world, but I can hear it because you're not asking the same questions. And so it's not linear. There's bands that are happening, that change is happening across. Absolutely. And here's one thing I will say that is a little disconcerting even now to me is that sometimes a client will say, this particular thing has really, really helped me. And as a result of this particular thing, I'm doing this particular thing. And they're the ones that determine the value of what it is that you're doing together. And sometimes you have a clear idea that X and Y will have value, but you didn't realize that Z had any value. Mm. It might be in your conversation with your client, something that you didn't realize would have the significance that it ultimately has, which is why you've really got to remember that the coaching is not about you. The coaching is about the client and what he or she desires, what they learn along the way, and giving them permission to sort of explore a little bit and still stay on the path, but they have to be able to let you know when they have the aha. You can't be telling them when they have it. We're going to leave it right there, Gina. That's such a great <laughs> way to, to end it. Where can people go to learn more about you and what you do and you know your thoughts on leadership? And you know, you've got a book that I'd love for you to share with people too. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you can find me on my website, which is just my name, GinaCox.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I love to have conversations on LinkedIn and try to share a few ideas that are helpful there. My book, Leading Inclusion, is available wherever good books are sold. (laughs) But I think the most important thing for anyone listening to know is that, as I said before, inclusion is just leadership. But what powers inclusion, I think, is respect. The idea that in whatever we do at work, at home, in the grocery store, that people just want to feel seen, heard, and valued. And so that's the core idea in everything that I do. Well, it has been fantastic to uh, get to hear your perspective on coaching and get to know you just through this last 25 minutes. And I hope that we can continue to uh, connect as we go forward. And everyone, links are on the podcast page at upcoach.com. Gina, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the UpCoach podcast with your host, Todd Herman. I hope you got a lot of value from today's episode. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. You get notified when we drop our next episode every week. Just type in the UpCoach podcast in the search and click the subscribe button on your favorite listening platform. And a review, a little snar rating, wouldn't hurt. And finally, all the show notes, tips, links shared, and the transcript is over at upcoach.com slash podcast, where you can also get your free trial for our modern transformation platform, specifically built for coaches and creators that care. The UpCoach podcast is produced by our friends at Ventures FM. Now that's all for this episode. We'll see you next time. And of course, keep on coaching.